This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Auto sales here in the United States are actually slowing down just a bit after a record pace for the last couple of years. The big three continue to do a pretty good job of adjusting to the new realities of the industry. But on a global perspective, a deal announced last year between Renault-Nissan Alliance and Mitsubishi. The alliance took a 34% stake in the Japanese automaker. It was the latest move by chair and CEO Carlos Ghosn, which continues to make Renault-Nissan one of the global leaders in the industry. And we're privileged to have Carlos Ghosn with us on the show today. Mr. Ghosn, great to have you with us. I hope you're having a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Where is the strength of the global auto market right now? Well, without any doubt, I think it's uh, in the emerging uh, in the emerging market. China continues to develop very well. India also is at a very high pace. We're talking about seven or eight percent growth. Uh, everybody's expecting a good recovery of the Russian market, even though we didn't see the first sign of it yet. You know, the Russian market went down by more than fifty percent for the last three years. And let's not forget also Europe. Europe still is recovering well. Uh, we 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 did not reach the level of the a pre-Lehman uh, crisis uh, level, so that we are still in a recovery. And frankly, I'm not too pessimistic about the U.S., even though the first quarter has been a little bit disappointing. Uh, the U.S. market is still at a very good and healthy level. Well, with your company be, being such a force uh, overseas, I, I w- it would be a mistake if I didn't ask you your reaction of the French election uh, with Mr. Macron uh, winning the election over Marine Le Pen. Well, frankly, uh, for me, it was not a surprise. I think this, we were, everybody was expecting this, you know, uh, already two weeks ago when uh, Emmanuel Macron won uh, the, the, the primary. So it's, it was a question about what's going to be the percentage by which he would win. He okay. won by 65 percent, which is a very strong statement that the French, uh, 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 you know, people and uh, France as a nation uh, want to continue to play in the global world and be integrated to Europe and uh, really confront the challenges and the opportunities uh, of, uh, of, the global, of the global trade. So this is good news for business and this is good news for society. And obviously, we wish uh, the best for the new president. The, the U.S. auto market has obviously gone through an unbelievable run the last couple of years and the numbers of, of vehicles being sold. When, when you see the type of volume that the U.S. market has done in comparison to the past, your reaction is what? And then where, where can your entities really fit in and, and grow here in the United States? Well, frankly, I, I, don't, think, um, uh, I don't think we can expect – uh, that the next uh, two to three years are going to be years of uh, significant growth in the United States. What we are seeing now is a stabilization, consolidation of the market at a very high level. And the, the most likely hypothesis, in our opinion, is that the market is going to stay around where it is today uh, for the next two to three years. Uh, it's going to be very competitive. Uh, and obviously, if you're looking for growth in the auto industry, you're going to probably be looking at it in different regions and in the United States. Again, I'm not alarmist. I'm not worried about the U.S. market. I mm-hmm. think it's a very healthy uh, market in terms of volumes. It's very competitive, but this is not a surprise. But if you want to grow, you're going to have to look, look or grabbing market share in the United States or uh, contributing 
contributing to the development of the other markets which are growing, and the first one of them is going to be Chinese market. One of the things that, that we have talked on this show quite a bit is about the technology and how that has really changed the industry. And, and obviously, cars today are, are much different vehicles on the road than they were 20 to 30 years ago. Uh, just the amount of, of technology that uh, that your company and other companies have, ha- have had to put into vehicles to a degree, it, it is a little bit of a different industry as a whole, is it not? Without any doubt. And you know what? Uh, you know, maybe 10 years or 15 years ago, a lot of people were worried that this industry would become an industry of commodities. Uh, you know, well, obviously, uh, the past years have proven wrong because this is an industry of technology. This is an uh, industry which is really adapting to the new reality of the world, benefiting of all the technological breakthroughs that are taking place. And this has obviously happened in the past and will continue in the future, particularly with the electrification of the cars, with uh, yeah. the development of autonomous, uh, autonomous cars, and the development of the connectivity of the cars, on top of all the other benefits that people normally expect from the car that is safe, comfortable, uh, and uh, pleasant, uh, pleasant to drive. So what you will be seeing in the next year is even more technology coming. This technology is not only coming from the car industry, but also the car industry is collecting a lot of breakthrough technology happening in sensors, in artificial intelligence, in cameras, in many other fields in order to allow much, a much better drive. That means the car is transforming itself from a kind of autonomous device for transportation into an, a kind of personal mobile space. And this means you're going to see even more transformation in the years to come. We are joined by uh, Carlos Gohn, who is uh, chair and CEO of Renault and the Renault-Nissan Alliance. Uh, we are talking about the global uh, uh, global auto industry right now here on Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Uh, you mentioned autonomous vehicles, and I wanted to touch on that with you for a second because here in the U.S., we obviously see the players growing, the numbers of companies and and people that want to be in the autonomous sector growing each and every day. But obviously, the regulation piece of it is still something that uh, is is a big hindrance for this really pushing forward. Yeah. With yeah. with perspective of what this is here in the United States, what is it like in other parts of the world when you're actually thinking about autonomous vehicles? What do governments in other parts of the world think? Yeah. You, you know, in, in autonomous car, uh, vehicles, you have to make a distinction between autonomous cars and robo-taxis. Uh, uh, robo-taxis robo right. are cars without a driver, yep. and autonomous cars are cars with a driver, but you know, you decide if you want to drive or if you want the cars to drive you. So when it comes to autonomous cars, I am very optimistic on the fact that uh, the, the regulation uh, is going to adapt uh, to the new technology because in a certain way, the responsibility remains with the car maker and with the driver who is going to be in the car. Yep. And we're seeing a lot of openness from not only authorities in the United States, but even in Japan and Europe, a lot of willingness to, in a certain way, facilitate this technology because... It has a lot of impact in terms of safety. It has a lot of impact in terms of productivity, even of the people who are driving the car. So, uh, in my opinion, this one is not a problem. When it comes to robo taxis, which mean cars without drivers, this is a different issue. Uh, I, I think there's going to be a lot of scrutinization uh, from the authorities. We're seeing it in the United States, but we're seeing it in many other countries, which are practically at the same level than the scrutinization we're seeing in the United States, because here. Yeah, problems about who is liable for what if something happens uh, into this car. Right. And we have to admit also that 
you see a lot of prototypes these days, so you have the impression that this technology is ready. I don't think it is. I think it's going to take at least four or five more years uh, because there is a difference between a prototype which can cover 95% of the cases and the mass marketing technology which is going to have to cover 100% of the cases. And we have more work to do in the case of robotaxis. The, the other piece to that is obviously the partnerships that have kind of played out of this uh, between the traditional automakers and the tech sector over the last uh, several years. And, and those relationships seemingly will continue to grow uh, on a variety of different fronts, correct? Without any doubt, you know, because there is a new technology coming, coming. With the new technology coming, you have new suppliers in a certain yeah. way, and you have new partners. And what we are seeing today is even the profile of the engineers who are hiring uh, are more and more uh, leaning towards uh, computer scientists, uh, you know, uh, yeah. people who are specialists uh, into writing, uh, you know, uh, special uh, 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 softwares, etc. While before we have mainly engineers who are specialists into mechanical uh, engineering, etc. So you're seeing the shift inside the car industry, but also a shift from the suppliers and the partners of the industry. But this is, in a certain way, a continuation of a trend we have always uh, always seen in our industry, that we are mainly assemblers of technologies, we are assemblers of parts, and we continue to be assemblers. Even if from time to time we build our own parts or we develop our own technology. Well, and, and that brings up a, an interesting point that I wanted to touch on with you, is the fact that being... A company like many in the auto industry, which is bringing in parts from other companies, you have an in instance like what happened with Takata a couple of years ago. And obviously that is something that is still to this day kind of playing out. And, and, and to a degree, there are times where you have to put the faith in the supplier that these parts are going to be uh, you know, at the highest performance. W with something like Takata, I, I mean, is, is there something that, that Toyota could have seen in, you know, in advance of this happening? Well, that, without any doubt, that means the, 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 main, uh, the main challenge we have in front of us, uh, particularly when it comes to electronics, is how do you control the quality uh, and the robustness of the parts coming to your car and how you make sure that you, you know exactly any change taking place in the process of your suppliers or into even the definition of the product from your suppliers. But this is something which is our core business. I mean, uh, it's not only the development of the technology by ourselves or the development of the partnership, but what kind of relationship you need to establish with your suppliers or with your partners mm -hmm. in order to make sure that any change taking place at the supplier does not uh, translate into a disaster, uh, you know, uh, at the level of your of your customer, uh, and every car manufacturer is addressing in different way because we have different processes into our preventive quality control. Uh, how how do we allow our supplier to make changes that are going to have a lot of impact on our car? That's why it takes so much time to move from a prototype to a mass marketed car because we really want to make sure that we are avoiding uh, you know mass recalls and sure. uh, problems of quality like the one which happened in the past. Carlos Cohn joining us here on Knowledge at Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I wanted to talk uh, uh, electric vehicles with you for a second. Uh, the The industry has had incremental gains, but it hasn't probably had the gains that I think a lot of people expected to at this point. Where do you see electric vehicles going in the next few years? 
Oh, I, I think we are at the beginning of uh, the taking off of the electric cars. Uh, yes, uh, it is true that it took a lot of time for the takeoff uh, to take place. You know, we, uh, we all uh, are convinced that electric cars are part of the future, particularly in urban zones in yep. the world. Uh, but, but what we have difficulty to estimate is at what pace it's going to pick up, because it's not only uh, driven by uh, market demand, which is not today the, a, a very strong element, but particularly with, uh, it's driven by uh, regulators uh, who are uh, putting uh, emission limits which are stricter, and in, in some cases uh, asking even for this technology to be introduced, like in China, for example, uh, where the regulator is asking for electric cars and plug-in hybrid. Uh, avoiding talking even about about hybrids. So in a certain way, the fact that the regulator is asking for zero emission cars, at the same time, uh, the restriction on emission becoming much heavier, and it's predictable. We know that we're going to have to uh, uh, limit our uh, emissions. And today, the most obvious solutions in order to fulfill the requirements coming from the regulators other electric cars. So uh, at the same time that we are submitted to this constraint, uh, people are starting to drive electric cars. They are starting to appreciate electric cars. And they say, well, at the end of the day, these are very pleasant cars, very reliable, very robust. So these two phenomenons allied to each other are going to create a boom on electric car. It's very difficult to predict the takeoff, except the fact that I can tell you that the Chinese market is practically doubling the number of electric cars from one year to the other for the last two to three years, and the Chinese government is really pushing toward that. Uh, other markets, the developments continue, but at a slower pace. So we are seeing a kind of mosaic of different situations, but nobody has a doubt on the fact that electric cars are going to be a major component of our industry for the years to come. Where do you see the future market for, for your companies here in the United States? Because uh, obviously you're going against uh, you know, some very well-established uh, and, and obviously strong market share companies with the big three here in the United States. And, and that being said, you, you know, your, your brands have had a very good last uh, you know, 24 to 36 months right now. Yeah, you know, you're right. But in fact, we, we always said that our first milestone in the United States is to reach 10% market share okay. but, uh, with Nissan, which is the main driving force in, in the U.S. compared to Mitsubishi, which is a, a, maybe a much smaller brand. And as you know, Renault doesn't sell cars in the United States. Uh, so the milestone of 10% is still there. It's, we're, we're there. We're not very far from it. We're today between 9 and 10% in the United States. But we want something robust and something sustainable. And then uh, we'll obviously we'll move, uh, we'll move forward. This is based not only on the fact that our coverage in terms of market segment is expanding, uh, but also on the fact that uh, we want to be the first one to bring, you know, we were the first one to bring electric cars but at the, with the LEAF, but at the same time we want to be the first one and be at the forefront of the autonomous cars and the connected cars. So you can expect a lot of new technology coming in the United States from our brands. In the United States, there has obviously been a run, uh, uh, you know, several years ago, but now uh, once again of the want of the SUV, and, and Nissan is certainly in there uh, with the vehicles that they produce. Is the want of the SUV pretty much strictly a U.S. Uh, U.S. entity, or is it starting to be more of a global one? Oh no, it's a global one. That means we're seeing what we call crossovers. 
uh, which uh, which are SUV with very comfortable SUV in a certain way SUV who can be which can be used in cities we're seeing these segments of crossovers developing very strongly all over the world uh, we're seeing it in China we're seeing it in Europe we're seeing it in the United States we're seeing it in the emerging market Brazil Russia uh, Japan so this is a kind of global trend uh, which is here to stay for a while. That means we're seeing some segments of the market declining, mm-hmm. like the sedans uh, are declining, uh, and it's all to the benefit of a very strong crossover push. Carlos Gon, who is the uh, chair and CEO of the uh, Renault-Nissan Alliance, uh, is joining us here on Knowledge of Wharton on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I asked you about Mr. Macron, but uh, obviously the political uh, segment here in the United States has been uh, kind of turned around in the last few months. Obviously, here in the U.S., growth seemingly is the one thing that, that President Trump talks about a lot. Is your expectations that, that we will see, because of the, the changes he potentially wants from, from tax reform, to be a big growth driver here in the United States? Without any doubt. I think if, if, uh, if there is a tax reform following what we are hearing, which means a reduction of the uh, tax on uh, profit of corporation, uh, the fact that uh, uh, repatriation of money will be taxed one time at 10%, percent, etc. Uh, all of this can be only beneficial to investments and to growth. So if this is implemented, it's going to be a big boost to the economy. How much uh, of that would be reinvestment for you, for this company here in the United States with, with uh, manufacturing facilities and, well, and know, more jobs? You know, the best, the best in, today when you look at when you have a lot of cash and you know how you invest your cash, the best investment you can you can do is your own in your own business. Expanding your own business is the best investment you can do, uh, because the returns on investing cash is is really particularly for large corporation is very meager. It's it's, it's insignificant. Uh, so and that's what we're doing. We invest our cash in our finance operations. We invest our cash into expanding our capacity. We invest our cash into partnering with other companies. That means you mentioned the fact that in the case of Nissan. Uh, taking 34% of Mitsubishi uh, was a great uh, was a great investment, and hopefully will demonstrate it was a great investment. So I think today, in a certain way, uh, uh, having more cash available is going to end up into more investment, and particularly if the environment in the market, particularly in the U.S. market, is very pro-business. Uh, you mentioned the Mitsubishi uh, partnership that that you and uh, your company uh, put up uh, put forth. What were really the, the the factors that you saw that made that the right move to make uh, a year or so ago? Well, uh, well, I mean the potential that we saw into the development of the Mitsubishi brand. I mean this is a brand, in my opinion, which is far below its potential. I'm not talking only in the in the United States, but uh, worldwide. Yeah, we think this is a brand which can do much much more than what's doing. And we think that by associating itself to Renault-Nissan, we're going to be offering what's missing for the brand, which is the access to new car platforms, to new technologies that we have already developed. So it's a really win-win. Mitsubishi access the technology of the Alliance, the platform of the Alliance, and the Alliance can, in a certain way, uh, benefit from Mitsubishi contributing to the cost of the development of this technology and the platform. So this is the way you establish a kind of win-win situation where everybody gets something from this association. So how much has that changed, that partnership already changed Nissan and changed Renault in the first few months? 
Well, I think, uh, well, uh, obviously, hopefully you'll have the answer in the next days because Mitsubishi will be announcing its financial result and the perspective for 2017. You know that in Japan, the fiscal year finished end of March. Yep. So yep. Uh, May is the month where the results are being announced. So Mitsubishi will be announcing its results tomorrow. So you're just going to you know, have to wait a little bit and see. <laughs> uh, but it's very positive. that You're going to see it in the result of the year 2016, particularly in the number of months where the company have been working together, and also in the perspective of the year 2017. You wouldn't like to give us a preview right now, Mr. Gold? Unfortunately, I cannot. I, cannot. <laughs> I greatly appreciate that. I understand. When you're thinking about growth here in the United States, and, and one of the interesting pieces that, that Nissan had within the last 12 months was the marketing partnership it had with the, with the Star Wars movie uh, last Christmas. Yeah. And, and that was, uh, you know, that was obviously one that just kind of played right into Nissan being a partner with you having a vehicle named Rogue and that film being Rogue One. I mean, that was, you couldn't, you couldn't, you could not have scripted that in any better. So, I mean, when you're thinking about marketing here in, in the U.S., that was obviously an obvious one. But yeah. th there obviously have to be challenges along the line in that as well. Without any doubt. But from time to time, you know, you get bad surprises. From time to time, you get, fortunately, you have good surprises. Uh, we, here we benefited from a good coincidence, but I think the team in the United States has done a great job into trying to make the best out of this coincidence between uh, the rogue of Star Wars and, and the rogue our, our, as, our own, uh, as our own car. This was a very successful campaign and it continues to be. Where is where is the real the, the strength uh, of the alliance right now? What what is the what are the pieces of this industry that really not only have been strong in the last few years but will continue to be the the best pieces of the alliance going forward? Well, I, I think uh, the strength the strength of the alliance is the fact that it's really well balanced in all the markets. I mean, we are in China, we are in Europe. We're in the United States, we are in Japan, we are in Russia, we're in Brazil, we're in India. We have a very, very well-established global footprint. And particularly, what's also important is the fact that we have three main brands. Uh, we have much more brands, but the three main brands, which are uh, Nissan, Renault, and Mitsubishi, uh, are acting in a way where each one is having its own autonomy, having its own energy. So uh, the fact that we have a kind of coherent strategy in terms of synergies between the different companies, but a kind of uh, decentralized uh, commercial strategy where every company goes its own way and develops its own market, I think is very strong. Because usually you have either one or the other, or you have a kind of very decentralized company, but at the same time you have no synergies, or you have one company with very strong culture, then you have a lot of synergies, but you lack dynamism in terms of marketing and sales. You know, this, the way we work together, we're trying to have both. We're trying to have both the synergies and the, the, the offensive on the marketing and sales side with different brands and different teams. Do you expect to see even a, a greater challenge in a location like China from the American automakers who are, oh, who, who are trying to you know, get that market share in that location? Without any doubt, I think the battle in China is fierce because you have from one side all the Chinese brands which are trying to take back uh, positions in their own in their own market, and you know particularly with the development of the crossovers and the development of the electric cars, uh, they are coming very strongly uh, with products and technology on these segments. 
the, the, the big three are trying also to grow also their presence. You have all the Japanese, the Koreans, uh, the Europeans. So I, I think China, as a major, the number one market in the world, uh, is going to continue to be extremely competitive because everybody wants to contribute to this growth. Mr. Gunn, I greatly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for giving us a half hour. Thank you very much. Thank All the you. best. Thank you. Thank you. Carlos Gon, who is the chairman and CEO of the Renault-Nissan Alliance. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.